When the Me Too movement exposed the ugly reality of sexual misconduct and abuse in the United States last fall, the allegations brought down dozens of men. There was Harvey Weinstein to start, and then the actors like Kevin Spacey and comedians like Louis C.K., lawmakers like Blake Farenthold and Al Franken, and journalists like Matt Lauer and Charlie Rose. We also faced a reckoning on this show before I got here. Women and men around the world celebrated what looked like the end of unchecked abuse. But men like Terry Gilliam, Liam Neeson, and Alec Baldwin have questioned Me Too, as have some women. In January, French actress Catherine Deneuve denounced the movement, and writer Caitlin Flanagan argued in defense of Aziz Ansari. And in April, dozens of women signed a letter in defense of Tom Brokaw. So was it the beginning of a backlash? Well, whatever you want to call it, the fact is these stories and our responses to them are inherently complicated, and race makes them even more so. Take the case of acclaimed writer Juno Diaz. Complaints of sexual misconduct and of verbally abusive behavior that many saw as misogynistic or machista surfaced not long after the author shared his own history of abuse as a child. And some have accused Diaz of being part of the same machismo culture he writes so much about. Then this week, a group of prominent Latina scholars co-signed an open letter that attempted to offer a defense of Diaz against what they saw as unfair treatment by the media. I sat down with two women on different sides of this issue. Marianella Belliard had a negative encounter with Diaz when she was in grad school, and she was disappointed and hurt by the letter. Linda Martin Alcoff is a professor of philosophy at CUNY's Hunter College, and she was one of the signatories. I think the purpose of the letter is not to defend or convict Juno Diaz, but to take the opportunity that this case affords to address some issues that, you know, people in Me Too, and and I think we're speaking from within the Me Too movement, really feel like need to be um, addressed more, like racism and sexism in the same sentence. And I think when you have a man of color who is accused, there's always sort of a concern about the way in which these very ready narratives about men of color as sort of unredeemable predators can be hyped up in the mainstream media world to make people feel like they have a definitive understanding of the situation when, you know, maybe there's there's more complexity. So what that does is it shuts down the complexity of some of some cases. I mean, some cases are not complex at all. They are completely unambiguous. This case, I think, is an opportunity for us to explore the complexities because it involves racism, sexism, victimization, and possible abusive behavior at the same time. Marianella, I want to bring you into the conversation You've written about your own disappointment with uh, with Juno Diaz and uh, that he was somebody whose work was elevated um, in the Dominican culture, in literature, in the greater American popular culture. I mean, I remember seeing copies of This Is How You Lose Her and so many other of his books being read all over the country. What did his success mean to you? And why was the truth about how we, he was conducting his personal and professional life so devastating? Before I answer that, I totally agree, Linda, that and I thought that the intention of the letter was going around those lines. However, I think we have to be careful because we do need to discuss the media stereotypes of Latino men, and especially in the context of the anti-immigrant and toxic environment. I mean, we have a president who launched a campaign labeling Mexican men as rapists, Right. When we all knew that Mexican was a euphemism for my brother, for your cousin, for every Latino man. 
Mm-hmm. However, we have to continue hearing the accounts and the voices that are expressing their disappointment. And now I can get into your question, Tanzina, how, for example, it affected me. See, the disappointment came from very uh, uh, diverse angles, as a woman, as a Dominican woman, as somebody who, ha- who shared a very similar background with Junot. And so I was in grad school. I was the scholar in residence at Wellesley College. I found out he was going to um, give a talk and he was going to read at Brandeis University, which is not that far from Wellesley. So I made it to the talk. We started talking, and at the end of the at the end of the dinner, he said, "Can you drive me back?" And I said, "Sure." And he made some uh, sexual advances, and then I said, "Hey, hey, slow down." He kissed me. He he was getting a little bit too frisky, and I pushed him a little bit, and I said, "You know, no, 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 come on, Juno." He put his hand on my head, and he touched my hair, and said, "Wow, pelito bueno, you know, good hair." And I said, "What?" And so he said, but is it real? And I said, no, 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 come on. So he started, he, he, he held my head and he wanted to push my bangs back to see if it was real, if it was truly good hair. I said, oh, no, come on. And then I said, you know, now he's getting really stupid. And, um, and then he said, um, you know, I'm a little tired. And I said, no, so am I. And I have to drive back to Wellesley. So, you know, it was nice meeting you. And it was a great talk. And that was it. And so we said goodbye and I left. But on the way back, it was when it really hit me. And as I was driving, and then I started to cry. And then I said, but wait a minute, why am I crying? Am I being stupid? And then I said, no, it was very um, disappointing because he went into the, the racial stereotypes of Dominican culture of pelo bueno, pelo malo, you know, good hair, bad hair. And I couldn't understand why he was doing that. Professor Alkoff, I want to turn to you. Um, I'm wondering if you can share with us some examples of where specifically Juno Diaz was maligned as a Latino versus somebody who was inappropriate with women. Well, I think there's a a number of examples that, you know, might be that sort of thing. But I I think the real question is how do we address that without silencing the stories and cases of of women. I mean, I'm a survivor of childhood sexual assault around the same age as Juno, so I'm very much identified with his story. I'm also the victim as a professor in the academy of, you know, there's all kinds of shenanigans that people play uh, who are professors or who have power against students and more vulnerable people, and I've experienced that as well. And I think, you know, one of the things we need to do to avoid silencing women is to stop thinking that if if we have personal experiences, that that's invalidating (laughs) of our voices. And that's what has silenced us for so long. And I think what's different about this moment is in the past, because of the vilification of men of color, which has been a long story, because of that, some men of color have used the demand for racial solidarity as a way to silence women of color, to silence them from making charges of of sometimes pretty serious cases of abuse. And I think that's what we're seeing changing in this moment, and that's really important. And aren't we capable of saying, on the one hand, you know what, um, there are issues of machismo, which is uh, masculine, the version of sexism in, in Latino cultures, and, and that's real, 
right? And at the same time, we can make these distinctions in terms of when, you know, that's uh, these are men behaving badly, et cetera, et cetera. I feel like we're, we're able to make those distinctions. What's interesting to me is that this isn't the first time we've seen a group of women come out and speak against, you know, speak out essentially sort of defending, if you will, in some ways, or clarifying um, some behavior. So we saw this with uh, Catherine Deneuve in, in France and a group of women there uh, wrote a letter. We saw this with Tom Brokaw in New York. A group of journalists got together and, and you know, wrote a letter in support of Tom Brokaw. Is it a woman's responsibility or collectively women's responsibility to stand up for this type of behavior, to make these clarifications? I think the fact of the matter is, as we hear more voices, there's going to be disagreement, right? There's going to be differences. And we have to be able to hear that. So that's part of the unsilencing. But some of the junior women who signed the letter are now getting some pretty serious pressure from their institutions to resign. So, you know, it's it's difficult to speak out on every side of this issue. There are stakes and, and costs. And Marianela, I'm curious, how much do you think race or ethnicity or Latinidad in this case is getting in the way of the bigger issue um, that is, uh, you know, allegedly Juno Diaz's difficult uh, encounters, if you will, with women? Uh, wow. Yes, uh, it does get in the way because it is an undeniable fact we're talking about a Latino author. And I think to try to dismiss that is also a disservice to the, to the movement and to the moment. I think we have to speak and take it into account because this is a perfect moment to expand the conversation to people of color in general in the academy who are often expected to be brilliant unique, and in the context of tokenism, also representatives of an entire race or ethnicity. And let's talk about that tokenism, because I feel like that's a big problem, right? Marianela, I mean, would you, and and, and Professor Alcoff is is also nodding her head here, the issue of tokenism with Junot specifically. Well, a lot of the people in in the Latino community for a long time have been really concerned. You know, many even said that Juno Diaz was sucking up the air. They were leaving very little space for other writers. But I think this is where uh, uh, Linda's point should be taken into account because this was, you know, this was a system. You know, I don't necessarily say that this was uh, Juno Diaz's uh, responsibility either. But there was this kind of minstrelsy and misogyny inherent in Diaz's work as well as the way it was being read. And some people have raised some very important questions. How do we continue reading Diaz? Well, the question is, how have you been reading Diaz, and in what context, and how do you discuss his writing, you know, and to me, this is, I think, a a very important moment for a larger discussion within the academy, because oftentimes minority professors, especially if they're young, they're expected to be a star and always be uh, performing, if you will, you know, performing their identity. Professor Alkoff, I wonder if you might sort of help us understand this, because when is it appropriate then for people of color, in this case women of color, in this case Latinas, when can we criticize our idols or our heroes, essentially, right? 
Um, because I think that's a, that's a tension that exists for lots of communities of color, underrepresented, marginalized communities, right? If we collectively do not support each other in solidarity, then we know the stakes are high. We know that there's a lot to lose, right? If one of us, if you will, screws up, you know, then it affects all of us, right, ultimately. And that's an unfortunate part of tokenism. It's an unfortunate part of the way that our society works. But there's another unfortunate part of this, which is abuse, Part of what we often do is we don't air our dirty laundry because we are minorities, because we are under the gun, because there are all these ready narratives to read us in one way or another. I think the difficulty in this new moment is how to think about the complications. You know, there's the question of individual responsibility versus structural responsibility, And some people who talk about structural responsibility are accused of giving people a pass on individual responsibility, changing the conversation. And I think we have to push back against that idea that it's an either-or. In my view, every adult individual has to take responsibility for everything that they do, no matter what traumatic things have happened to them. But... We also have to talk about and think about the structural conditions that provides opportunities for abusers, provides excuses for their behavior, and sometimes provides even training in the ways of domination. And actually, Diaz is writing, you know, his Oscar Wilde book in particular, as well as Drown, I think, thematizes these issues in a, a way that many people have found productive when they're teaching his work. So... It's not a question of the individual responsibility goes down if we focus on the systemic and the structural. We have to keep all of these on the same page. Marianela, any closing thoughts? Oh, um, I'm happy that we're having this conversation. I think it's a very important conversation to be had, and uh, it's been long overdue. It's unfortunate that we've reached this moment at the same time that a very dear and, and appreciated writer, as Juno Diaz has been for uh, the community, is also losing his team, you know, in, in his status and in, 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 in what he has achieved. And that is the sad part. That is the conflictive part that, it, at least, and I'm speaking for myself, was so difficult to reconcile and was so difficult for me to even put into words, and um, and as I said, as someone who shares uh, so much with uh, Juno Diaz in, in, as, as far as the background and the experiences and, and, and the working mother, I felt that, I, that it was also my responsibility to speak up and to make sure that the voices would not be drowned and that this was not a, an issue of Dominicanidad, or Latinidad, that it was, this was really an issue of power, abuse of power, and patriarchal practices. Professor Alkov, final thoughts? The further question that we really wanted to you know, think about is the future. What is the, the future articulation of you know, what we want uh, in the Me Too movement? And does that include sexists who have expressed repentance, right? (laughs) Can repentant sexists be part of the coalition? Can we imagine people changing 
And some argue that Diaz has changed a lot in the last few years, at least. Can we imagine such persons as playing a role? People who have been abusive might be great educators. So I think the question of the future directed goals as well as past-directed redressing and airing of harms um, needs to be put on the table, and that's what we were hoping to, to move toward. Linda Martin Alkoff is a professor of philosophy at the City University of New York Hunter College and author of Rape and Resistance. She is also one of the co-signers of the open letter about Juno Diaz. And Marianela Belliard is a writer and PhD in comparative literature, and she's the author of the essay, Juno Diaz's Masks. This is how he lost it in Latino Rebels. Thank you both for joining me today. Happy to be here. Thank you so much. Thanks. I'm Ira Flato, host of Science Friday. For over 30 years, our team has been reporting high-quality news about science, technology, and medicine. News you won't get anywhere else. And now that political news is 24-7, our audience is turning to us to know about the really important stuff in their lives. Cancer, climate change, genetic engineering, childhood diseases. Our sponsors know the value of science and health news. For more sponsorship information, visit sponsorship.wnyc.org.